Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night cheer. Back on track on Wednesday night, just not back on track at 9 o'clock. Starting slightly tardy due to Mayriv. In order to have Mayriv, which is about 9.02 today, this month. So, it's either that or Davin after this year, which I'm sure nobody cares either way. Except for me, I'm going to have to go out again after this year. Works for me. This week's Shabbos Pasha's Kedach. She is the Ilanishmas, Aaron Baruch Halevi, Minyuda Levi, and Amelia Basara. May the Nishamas have Aliyas. Shabbos Pasha's Kedach. The Shabbos is according to the calendar Gimel Tammuz. What does Gimel Tammuz mean to us? What does Gimel Tammuz mean to. Any, what does Gimel Tammuz mean to Klal Yisrael? Does it have to mean something to Klal Yisrael per se? What happened? What is the miracle of Gimel Tammuz? We've spoken previous shirim about Gimel Tammuz. We spoke about the Schalta de Geula, the beginning of the Geula of the Friedrich Rebbe. The Friedrich Rebbe was in prison. Previous Lubavitch Rebbe, Rebbe Yitzchak, was in prison in Russia former communist Russia, USSR, and, sorry, and it was on Gimel Tammuz that he found out that his actual sentence was commuted. It was only Yudbeis Tammuz until he actually, Yudbeis Gimel Tammuz, the time that he actually is redeemed from prison per se. Therefore the celebration begins as Chalta the Gula as Gimel Tammuz, and the Gula which is referred to in the Chedesh Tammuz, always Yudbezi Gimel Tammuz. Although Yudzayin Tammuz is not of the highest standards of happiness, as a matter of fact, it begins the three weeks, but when we look at the month of Tammuz, we look at the happy, joyful moment parts of it, which are Gimel Tammuz, the beginning of the redemption, Yudbezi Gimel Tammuz, the ultimate redemption from the Friedrich Rebbe's imprisonment. He was sent to Kastramawi, he was sent to death, etc. Gimel Tammuz for many for the worldwide marks the outside and how else does one commemorate the outside except for discussing the life of the person? The life, the happiness, the successes, the monumental accomplishments of the person in this world, Baal And only through that can we understand how we need to live, as the Rebbe explains from the words of the Navi, Vachai Yitena Libay. Uncharacteristically, I'd like to take a little part of a sikh of Tavshin Memches 5748, as the Rebbe said for Gimel Tamas, Pashat Kedach. Only because, esoterically, it's a very, very powerful concept. Kedach. Pashat is called Kedach. Now, Generally, and of course we've discussed many times about this, 
Kerach is not earmarked as a tzaddik. Kerach, if anything, is marked as a very horrific rebel who stood up a rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. Kerach, ultimately, as we know, was swallowed up with his entire Ada, with his entire following, 250 people, and they were swallowed up by the ground. They were swallowed up alive, and it is said that if you can find the exact spot where they were swallowed up, you can hear them still crying out the words, Moshe Emes Viserosai Emes. Moshe is true, and his Torah is true. So then in essence, Kedach, we're not going to really find any great merits for Kedach. We're not going to find any great reviews for Kedach. He's not going to get many score, score many points in the popularity contest. So the question immediately comes the little boy, Mechamesh the Mikra, he opens his Chumash and he learns Bamidbar. Why is it called Bamidbar? Pash called Bamidbar because the first second talk about Bamidbar Sinai. Okay. And the next passage talks about Nosei, then it's Siyim, and it starts with Nosei Yisraelish. Okay, it's called Nosei. Baha'aloyscha is Hanedes. It's talking about the Menedes. It talks about Baha'aloyscha. Pash called Baha'aloyscha. Shlach Lecha, the Miraglam sent out. Not a very pleasant story. And in truth, the Benchamesh Zemikah starts to wonder what's the thought, thought pattern here? Why are you calling a Pasha after a derogative story? A story that literally is derogatory in that the Jews did not come out looking very good, did not come out smelling roses. As a matter of fact, they ended up wandering for 40 years in the desert thereafter for it. And then you call a Pasha Kairach. Kairach? You're going to name a parasha after this guy? I mean, <laughs> different types of Jews that we have in this world today. There are the Jews that come to an organization and they say, I want to give you a donation. But I want my name on your building. <laughs> All right, give me a substantial donation. I want the name on the building. And you have the guy that comes to the organization that's not a faltering, suffering, holding by bankruptcy, if that's possible in a corporate, in a, in a organization, a 501c3. And he says to them, I'm going to give you a donation to bail you out, but I want your building on my name. So you have the difference, this guy wants to put his name on the building, and this guy wants to put the building on his name. Um, the IRS will catch exactly what the difference is in that. The Kedach, <laughs> he got top billing. Top billing, the Pasha's called after Kedach. Wow. How strong is that? How powerful is that? So let us try to figure out there's got to be some merit to Kerach. His name, after all, Pasha the Taylor 
one entire 97 psukim portion of the Teda. And it's not only the Pasha that's called Kerach. This whole week is called the week of Kerach. How does he rank such billings? Are you plugged in there? Do you hear me? Yes. In fact, in the fridge, there's a picture of lemon water. Just make me a cup of water. Please. Stop shaking the table. You're destroying my video. Um, they're not comfortable? So bring a kitchen chair. Chairs are not comfortable. Chairs are made for one hour seating. <laughs> and this way they have... Uh, even on Shabbos meals, we have one hour seating here. If we're in the middle of the fish course still, you're finished. Forget it. Kedach is spelled Kuf Reish Ches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something you've got to really look up. It's not something that really is going to be debatable or negotiable. I'll put back the picture after that. God bless you. Unless you want to talk. Make good ice water. Okay. Alright. That'll hold us for the shoe, hopefully. Kuf Reishches. We know, according to the Zayar, that's even brought down in Pukyavis, actually. The Hey with the letter Hey, God created the world. Why the letter Hey? The letter Hey involves nothing. The letter Hey, you don't have to use your tongue, you don't have to use your lips, you don't have to use your throat. It's not a Ches, it's not a Vav, it's not a Zion or a Pei. You don't have to use anything for that. Hey, Hey. And with that simple, simple letter, God created the world. Obviously, the hay is also representing the name of Hashem, the name of God. Now let us take the word koirach. The kuf is pachaja, it's similar to the hay. Because it has a top, it has a bottom on the right, and then it has another leg, but it's a long leg. The reish has a top and a right side, but nothing on the bottom, on the left. Whereas the ches has the top and the bottom, and the left side is closed. The left leg. All of them are very similar to the letter hey. Each with its own with its own difference. The kuf with a longer foot, the reish with no foot, and the hay with a with a ches with a attached foot. Mm-hmm. The word The letter Hay represents Machshava on the top 
and Dibur on the side. Machshava being thought, and Dibur being talking. The leg of the hay that severed represents Maisa. The doing, the deeds. Tells us the letter Hey that we need to have Machshavas. We need to have Dibur. But most importantly, we need to have Maisa. So whereas your Machshava and your Dibur are attached, your Maisa is a little harder to involve yourself with. Therefore, it needs to be kept separate a little bit, detached, so that a person knows that the distance between the actual Maisa, the Machshava and the Dibur are together, but the Maisa is kept separate. This keeps a person in check. To tell them, yes, you're very good, you're very intelligent, you say smart things, you think smart things. The Maisa, the Maisa, who are here, the main thing is the doing. When it comes to doing, you should know that there's what to work on. There's what to work on. You're not perfect. You're not 100%. You always need to know how you have to strive to become better. Comes Kairach. And he closes the hay. He closes it with a ches. To tell us that his makshava is deeper than Maisa is one and he's perfect and he's great and therefore he can become Kain Gadol. And the letters of his name, Kuf, represent what he came to argue about Chelas, the Reish about the Bayis Malisvarim, and the Ches about the Kuhuna, that he wants to become the Kohen Gadol. Because he felt that he is so perfect, his Machshava, Dibra and Maisa, were all attached to one. This is not a simple shot. It's obviously an esoterical explanation. I just thought it was a very, very beautiful explanation, therefore I felt it was apropos to talk about it. Let us return by Yaakov Meisha, by Yechel Achar of Zikne Yisrael. Meisha stood up, the Pasuk that we're talking about here, chapter 16, verse 28. Moshe heard that this march is going to take place regardless. He told Osama Vinu, he sent them messages, he begged, he pleaded with them, please don't go through with this, and they did not want to hear. He heard that going through with this nonetheless. Tells us the tale of Ayokam Moshe. Moshe went, stood up, and marched himself to Dosam and Avinam, once again, but 
All the elders followed him. At this point in time, the decree for what they had caused and done was sealed. It was sealed. These people are hopeless now. Moshe told the entire Moshe, the God told Moshe to tell the entire nation to assemble from around, around where Mishkin of Kerach and his Ada were, thus in Aviram, and in several seconds the earth will swallow them up. God told Moshe this is going to happen after Moshe was warned that this was now the final decision of God Moshe picks himself up and everybody went behind him why did he go? He already sent messages. He tried to convince them and they answered him with terrible chutzpah. And now it was too late. It was sealed. Their decree was sealed. It was finished. They were done. Why is he going? From the other side, if he asked them to do tshuva, Why did they not accept what he spoke to them? If that's what his deal was, that he was going to ask them to do tshuva, why does the Torah not mention that? The Torah only tells us he went. It doesn't say any conversation ensued. It just tells us he went there. What happened? We don't know. But if the idea was that he talked to them, to convince them, to change their minds, hey, why doesn't the Torah tell us that? Rashi, in turn, brings down the words by Yaakov and explains, he thought perhaps that he'd present before them And therefore he thought that this would explain to them this action of him presenting himself yet once again to them he figured that would tip the scale with them. And therefore even though that the decree was set in stone And the truth is that God said, for, God forbade him to speak to them. God forbade him to go to try to once again inspire them to repent. God actually already commanded what should happen to them and stay away from them because the punishment is imminent. But Meshach Rabbeinu 
had such Avas Yisrael, had such true love for a fellow Jew, such unconditional devotion, dedication to each and every Jew, he tried maybe, perhaps, odd against odds, maybe he'll be able to do something. And therefore, Vayoka Moshe, it doesn't say, Vayelech Moshe, he went. Vayoka Moshe, he stood up with his entire royalty. He stood up with his entire greatness to show and to tell the world what he was doing. For everyone to see his entire prompenstance. And when you see the king, the majesty himself coming and presenting himself like this before him, the average person gets something to their heart. Even the heart of stone is moved from such an appearance. And here not only did Moshe himself show up, but the entire Zikna Yisrael went with him. And that's why the Apostle continues just that. Moshe Rabbeinu did not tell them, come with me. So why did they go with him? And why does the Torah tell us they went with him? But these words tell us the Pa'ula that Moshe Rabbeinu did. When he stood up, Vayakam Moshe, he stood up. This standing up for his Nasius, his Malchus, his royalty, it caused such an effect that everyone wanted to go with him. But who went with him? The greatest of the people, the 70 elders of the nation. They fell into line behind him to go. And Meshe was hoping, hope against hope, that when Kairach and the people, and Dasan Avinam will see this, they'll, out of awe, they'll be awestruck, and they will say, okay, stop, we're backing down, we're not doing this anymore. Please ask Hashem to forgive us. Here we learn the great Avas Yisrael of Meshach Rabbeinu. That even after a person was signed, sealed and delivered, the person was totally, the decree was totally, null, was totally sealed on him. Meshach says there's still an opening there's still some hope for the person to repent. And at this point in time where God said, stay away from these people, and Moshe said, I can't. I can't. I am their shepherd. The shepherd doesn't leave his flock. How, how perhaps I can save them from Shaltachtis? So if Meshach Rabbeinu stood up 
to help someone that literally was a revolutionary against everything that he stood against, stood for. And yet he stood up at this point in time where the person was totally, totally signed off. And where God said, stay away from him because my decree upon him is sealed and that's it. But yet Moshe Rabbeinu stood up and went to try to help him yet. How much more so in our days. A person could have done a terrible sin. A sin that everybody knows about. A sin that everybody talks about. But we need to give them a chance. We need to allow them to do tshuva. And we need to ask the people that they sinned against to forgive them. There are people that they know nothing about Judaism. And now all of a sudden they're found or they find somebody or they find something in Judaism. Each and every Jew has an obligation to do whatever they can to bring back such Jews. Before I come back to the Pasha, talking about Gimel Tammuz, about the Rebbe, a leader, a shepherd, a Moshe Rabbein of our generation. The Holy Ragachava used to have Chassidim come visit him. And the Chassidim would come visit him. He would ask them different questions. And he once posed the question, what is a Rebbe? And they answered, Rebbe is an acronym. Reish Beis Yud stands for Reish B'nai Yisrael. The head of the Jewish nation. And the Holy Ragachava told them, A Rebbe is somebody that when a Jew is in trouble, the Rebbe feels it. That's a Rebbe. I'd like to tell you two stories, one which I've already told before, and one which I married to hear yesterday. Let's do the new one first, I guess. <laughs> Today, I guess, he's considered from the elder of the Hasidim. His name is Rabbi Shal Engel. Shal Engel teaches me a lesson every time I see him. The lesson of Hakaras Hatev. How we need to recognize when someone does something good for you. And whenever he sees me, he says to me, I came here as a child. Rabbi Shal Hecht and Rebetzin Miriam, your grandparents, took me in as one of their own. They fed me, they gave me, they took care of me. Now the truth to be told, he's consistent. Because I'm hearing the same story from him for almost 50 years. Whenever I see him. When I was barely after Bar Mitzvah, I once wanted to come here for a Shabbos. My friends had this, had that, everybody had something. And I stayed by Yisrael Engel. Yisrael Engel says, it is my biggest honor 
to be able to somewhat give a repayment to the family, the Hecht family, for all that they have done for me. He says, your grandparents supported me. They gave me whatever I needed. They married me off. I know Rebissel Engel is here now. And he told me the following story yesterday. A fellow in Israel, now these stories are in abundance, shall we say. So it starts all the same as a lot of other ones, but it's not the same story. A fellow in Israel from the antagonistic side of the from Jews was not a very big fan of the Rebbe's. And oftentimes would say very derogatory things about the Rebbe. This fellow was married, had children. His boy was in yeshiva. His boy was a beautiful, excellent student. And about 15 years old, his boy walked into the house, came back from yeshiva, he took off his yarmulke, he took off his tzitzis, and he told his father, hold this, maybe one day I'll see you again. And he walked out the door. No, I don't even know if he kissed him, Zuzah. So, let's not uh, go there. Mm-hmm. He left the house, Rechman son. <coughs> and he went searching. And he went searching, and he went finding, and he ended up in Florida in a university. One day he's walking on campus, and there's a Lubavitch and Mitzvah tank. And his boy has years already not seen his home, years already not spoken to his parents. And there's a Lubavitch and Mitzvah tank. And the chassid walks over to him and says, Tell me, Bachar, you're Jewish, right? And he says, Yeah. He says, Put on tefillin, please. And he says, <laughs> I don't do that. So he says to him, Listen, well, you got to have an idea, you got to have marketing, marketing skills. He says to him, Do me a favor. He says, What? He says, it's a hot day. I'm out here for two hours. I have not succeeded on putting on tefillin with one person. Please, please, do this one favor for me. The guy takes the tefillin. Usually when we go to the bracha, when we come to put on tefillin with somebody, even though I'm doing it for years, a lot of the people I still have to make the bracha with them, I still have to wrap them up. This guy took the tefillin off the table, put it on, made the bracha, put on the tefillin, took the scissors, said, Krishna, excuse me, gave it back to the bracha, took off the tefillin, and said, Arrivederci. A day or two later, he sees him again, and he says, uh, Oh, my friend, come put on film. 
says, don't give me your story again. Nobody put on film today again. He says, well, I had a few. He says, I'm not putting on. I did it that one time because you didn't have anybody else. And I felt bad for you. He says, you know what? He says, you don't want to make a bracha on the film. I have here some fresh homemade cake. You're a student at the university. What do you drink? What do you eat already? Food. Come. Come make a bracha on the piece of cake, fresh cake. <laughs> All right. So he took the piece of cake. He made the bracha with him. And he ate the cake. Every day or two as he walked by, he asked him again, would you put on today's film? He said, no. Will you make a bracha on cake? He said, yeah. And they became friends through the cake. And eventually, he invited him to his Chabad house. And he accepted and came for a Shabbos, for a Friday night meal. And it started to wake up certain elements within him. And months later, he was ready to return home. And he arrives home, much to his parents' shock. His father says, well, what, what's this? How, what happened? He's back with Yamak and Tzitzis. So he tells them exactly what happened. He says, I went past the Mitzvah tank, Chabad Mitzvah tank, and the Chabad Mitzvah tank slept me into Baranthil, and I started with again, I became friendly with him, ended up going to the Chabad house, and I ended up, and I became from I realized how much he spoke against the Rebbe and what the Rebbe just did for him the guy picked himself up and flew to New York and he came to thank the Rebbe when he came in front of the Rebbe to thank the Rebbe told him what happened the Rebbe said let me tell you something my son when a boy a girl goes off the way I don't sleep nights until they come back so the Rebbe told this guy and the Rebbe was true to his word because it's the Rebbe's shliach, the Rebbe's emissary that was in the right place at the right time to bring this boy back another such story which we have already told was a kibbutznik for whatever reason, sorry, got turned off with the communism, and his mother-in-law lived in Australia, or had already moved to Australia, not to Australia, Mamish, to Tanzania, to Hobart, and he being fed up with the kibbutznikim, and fed up with the communism, and fed up with everything else, moved to Hobart, Tanzania. There were approximately 300 Jewish families there. All of them knew they were Jews. Sachako. They knew they were Jews and they had a shul. And the men showed up in the shul three times a day. They had no idea what they were doing there. They didn't know which way to hold the siddha. There was one fellow who knew how to read. He was the Chacham. 
He was the chazan, he was everything. The balkeda. He led all the services. And everybody he turned around, he said, say Amen, they said Amen. And this is how this community existed. Ba'ayim, the chazan, retired. He left Hobart. Who's going to do it now? Someone has to lead these services. So they met our kibbutznik friend. I believe his name was Mr. Rosen. And they knew of him, and they knew he was Israeli, and they knew he knew how to read Hebrew because of that. And they came to insist that he leads the services in Shul. He says, I'm not... I never stepped in a shul before, I'm not stepping in a shul now. He says, uh, is that not happening? Anyway, they wouldn't take no for an answer, because you can't just leave 300 people, 300 families stuck, nobody to daven, nobody to lane. And the wife knew some of the tunes that his grandmother used to sing, grandfather used to sing. And so he became the involuntary Involuntary cousin. And he led the services, Kvayachum. He said all the words in the Siddha. It meant absolutely nothing to him. And Baksha, they were blessed with children, two children. And of course, children were sent off to public school. <coughs> and unfortunately, at the time, the most common visitors that came to visit your house were missionaries. And the missionaries knew that these people were Jewish and they figured these are good prey because they knew nothing about Judaism. And they would come there, they would try to pray upon them and they would sit and they would talk to them and they would visit with them. He had nothing to answer them. But he knew that he's not becoming one of them. Mm-hmm. The day comes and it occurs to him that his children are going to school here. They have no Jewish friends, no Jewish anything here. What becomes of them? They're going to marry non-Jewish children, intermarry, and then it's the end of him. It's the end of the generations. And so... he finally felt the despair. He felt that he needs to figure out how to do this. He needs to figure out how to daven. He needs to figure out how to get closer to God. He needs to figure out how to fix this. And there was literally no one to talk to. Tanzania. So, he started to cry. He started to cry. And as he cried and cried and davened, He said, God, help me out. 
Send me somebody. Send me a sign. Send me a hint. Send me something that I should know, that I should learn, that I should be able to start a Jewish life, that my children should be safe. A day or so later, two, three days later actually, he's walking the streets, and there's the funniest sight that he ever seen in his life. A bearded rabbi, long coat, walking the streets, wandering the streets, literally. And he runs over to him and says, Excuse me, are you Jewish? The rabbi says, Yes, I am. Are you? He says, Yes. And he says, Could you tell me about Judaism? The rabbi says, Sure. He says, Come to my house. And he goes to the man's house, and they sat for hours, and hundreds of questions went back and forth. All the questions the missionaries were asking. All the questions that he himself had. All the traditions he needed to learn, all the things that he wanted to know. And the rabbi told him where he can get all the sources, and where he can get all the books, and where he can get everything that he needs to become a from Jew. Mm -hmm. A while later... This fellow was talking to the rabbi and was saying, how did the rabbi know? Why was the rabbi doing in Hobart? And the rabbi said, I got a letter from the rabbi telling me to go there. The Lubavitch Rebbe in Brooklyn, New York, I'm sorry, I left out a very important point. The guy said, I, I read from the Torah, and I see that in the Torah it says there's a Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a leader of a generation. So I don't imagine, he says, God, is in his prayer to God, mm-hmm. I don't imagine this generation doesn't have a leader too. Please send me somebody to help me. It turns out that the letter that the Rebbe wrote to Rabbi Gutnik to go to Hobart was written the exact day that this man stood and davened to Hashem to send him somebody. As he davened in Hobart, Tanzania, the Rebbe in Brooklyn, New York, in 770 Eastern Parkway, heard his tefillahs, heard his prayers and his request, and sought to it to send Rabbi Gutnik to help him out. This, in essence, in a nutshell, teaches us what is Rebbe. And therefore, as we embark on Gimel Tammuz, as we come forth from Rishchidosh Tammuz into Gimel Tammuz, in a form of preparation, we prepare ourselves by knowing and by tightening, by tying, by bonding with the Rebbe. I was dialed yesterday with somebody, with a few people actually. And after we were leaving the oil, somebody says, they took out their phone, they got a text as they were leaving the oil. 
And it was a very interesting text telling the person how everything is divine providence, everything will work out for the best, always keep smiling, must be happy. A whole very, very encouraging, encouraging, which happens to be a quote, the person was sending a quote out on a mass, mass text of the Rebbe, a quote from the Rebbe, Here's something the Rebbe said years ago, translated into English, telling the person, giving the person the hope and the encouragement to continue. So, yes, you want to tell me that the Rebbe is in the Eil, if not in the Eil, wherever the Rebbe might be, I can only tell you that the Rebbe answers very, very clearly to people that want to hear what he wants to answer. To refocus a bit on the Pasha, a very, very sticky subject. It's Pedic Yud Zayin Pasach of Gimel, chapter 17, verse 23. The sticks were all put forth, the whole fight of Kerach was put to sleep, put to bed. And the Almighty commands that every Nasi take a staff, a stick, and give it to Moshe Rabbeinu. And each one put their name on the staff. The name of their tribe. What will be tested? The person who's chosen for the task that the Almighty wants, Matehu Yifrach. His staff will blossom. Okay. And the Torah tells us they placed all the staffs, the Mishkan. And the next day, the staff of Aaron from Beis Levi started to blossom. It gave out flowers, started to give out budding, and then out came almonds. Let's ask a practical question. The staffs were going to produce something. Either yes or no. If any one of these dead staffs is going to produce something, whatever they produce would be a miracle. A miracle way above nature's course. So then why did God perform the miracle in the regular fashion of growth? He should have just made almonds. Why the flower, and then the blossom, and then the, the garment. Could have done it without anything, just the almond. Oh, here it goes, stick, stick is producing almonds. That wouldn't be a miracle. Nobody else's stick is producing anything anyway. So if it's producing almonds, so it produced almonds, so we don't see it enough. Why everything? Why the whole process? Let us go back to Gimel Tamas. In the history of Gimel Thomas, the Seder Elam Rabbah, Perik Yir Aleph, 
It tells us what happened on Gimel Tammuz. Yeshua ben Nun went to war. And Hashem, Shemesh be given them. Look in Yeshua, the book of Yeshua, chapter 10, verse 12. Perik Yud, Pasuk Yud Beis. Shemesh be given them. The sun stopped. Not only the sun stopped from setting, the moon stopped from coming in as well. So that he can continue and finish his battle that day, because the battle had to finish that day. Here too we have a question. God wanted to help the Jews conquer. He wanted them to win the battle that day. Why do you need 18 hours in a day to do it? Do it in 5 hours. Do it in 5 hours. Leave the sun alone. Let it go. Let nature lead its course. Let the sun do regular hours. The moon do its hours. And build and win the battle. In 1, 2, 3. Boom. Kill everybody out. Because you should to win the war. Why did he have to stop the sun, stop the moon, make this miracle to go against nature? But the truth of the matter is, this thin line between nature and miraculous is what Akadish Baruch Hu did when he created the world. Everything is predetermined. God knows everything is going to happen. So where's our Bechira Chavshis? Where's our freedom of choice? God knows exactly what's going to happen anyway. So how do we say we have freedom of choice? How can we choose if it's not, if it's already predetermined? When God created something naturally, God created it so that it looks like a natural thing was created. What did he want with this? That this godly holiness should look natural. It should attach, it should connect with the actual physical world. The Almighty did not decide, I'm creating the world, letting it run automatic pilot. On the other hand, although it looks like nature runs its course, God is still controlling the nature itself. It's doing what God wants it to do. So HaKadosh Baruch wanted, and most miracles are the same, that the miracle should be intertwined with nature. Not it should look like it's something that went on its own course. And this is therefore the ultimate revealed miracle of the staff. The fact that a fruit grew from it was a miracle. But nature doesn't grow that way. Nature grows in an order, with a flower, with a blossom, with a, with a fruit, 
And the same thing with the Shemesh Begiven day. The war, Yeshua had to lead according to nature. Fact was, the odds were against him. According to nature, it would be a difficult thing. So the war was definitely going to be miraculous regardless. But God wanted to make sure that he understood that he battled not for 5 hours, but for 12 hours. And therefore, after a 12-hour battle, he won. So it should look like a natural war. So God made the sun stop. So that the battle goes on. This teaches us many lessons in service of God. Just like God wants to make this little slav, this little levels between miracle and nature, the same thing is our Kabbalah's ill. The miraculous acceptance between feeling and recognizing, which is nature. The foundation of Kabbalah's ill, of accepting the yoke of God, and nullification to God, feeling nothingness in front of God. But at that very time, HaKadosh Baruch wants the Jews to understand that their teda, their mitzvahs, and their seichel, and their feeling, and their emotions, and everything is theirs. Yes, God determines it. Yes, God runs it. Yes, without God for a second thinking about us, we become nothing. But God wants us to see that there's a natural, what looks like a natural course. Even though the nature itself is dictated and run by God Himself. The same thing when it comes to Panosa, to sustenance, Supporting a family. A Jew needs to believe that Parnassah comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And with this, all this above him, the person goes to work. Because the person, according to nature, according to his own initiative, feels that he needs to earn money. Why does he have to have money? So he can serve God. He could learn Teda. He could do the mitzvahs with peace of mind, with plentitude, And this is therefore how God says, I created a world. The world is there so that you can complete my mission. You are completing my mission with all the natural sources and resources that you have. You can't do the mitzvah of Lulav, of Esrig, Hadatsim Narovis by imagining it. You can't be Yetzel with Tfilin by thinking of Tfilin. And so on and so forth. You can't have be yet to the mitzvah of matzah without eating the actual matzah. So I'm asking the question. 
<laughs> the famous joke. Sadie and Selma going in the car. And Sadie's going through all the red lights. And Selma's getting very nervous. And she says, Sadie, are you Meshigah? She says, no, why? She says, are you aware that you're going through all the red lights? Sadie turns to Selma and says, I'm driving? Mm. We are sitting in this world for the X amount of a lot of years that we have. And we actually think we're driving. Whether we have a permit, whether we have a license, whether we just have a piece of paper, or whether we have nothing, we think we are driving. We think we're in the driver's seat and we're controlling anything. Tells us Teda, tells us the Abishta, no kindalach. I am running everything. You have the Kirechavshis. You have to do what you can. Wow. In a natural way. But your essence is all from me. And this, we anticipate that the Havchu Yamelu, that these days Taka will be the Shalta de Gula, that this Gimel Tamas will take us to the mitzv- to the Yud, to the prophecy of Ikitsu, Veranenu Sheikh Neyafar. We will all sing, we will all dance, and the Rebbe will lead us this Shabbos. Yerushalayim Yerakedesh to the Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi Harabayis and we'll see the Kayin Godel the chosen Kayin Godel will be in the Kedesh HaKadoshim Shabbat Shalom and Ashkodesh Tov to all